Um, if you turn to the book of 2 Timothy, to the second chapter this morning, that's where we're going to be spending our time in the Word. Super excited um, to be doing the next, um, this Sunday and next Sunday, uh, a two-part series on church mission. Um, this kind of formed up out of just some reading that I was doing, and um, and it was going to be a one uh, a one week thing, a one Sunday thing, and about halfway through, um, through various circumstances, God revealed this was not going to be a one week thing. And so, um, just want to take some time and look at this passage of scripture um, and talk about church mission, our vocation, our aim, our goal, our calling. What are we here to do as the church? What are we here to do and to accomplish, not only individually, but collectively as well as a body? And so there are a lot of places in Scripture that we can go and study this from. We can actually glean a ton, obviously, from Paul's letters and and from the teachings of Christ. And um, I think that this by no means in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is the definitive word on, on church mission and what we're to be doing, but I think we have a really dynamic um, and very Pauline rapid fire way of looking at things that we can be doing as a church body together to be effective in our community um, and to be effective in our church. And I think that we're going to see that it works in both of those areas, that our church mission is not only to reach out, but it's also to cultivate and grow each other. And I think that in the same way, we can't just be focusing on cultivating and growing each other, that we are growing in each other and encouraging each other to go out and to be lights. And so um, I think that we can look at it in this passage and, and see what Paul has to say, and it's very dynamic, and I hope that we all walk away with it, if nothing else, with a couple tools in our tool belt, if you will, just a couple things that we can use, that we can apply to our everyday lives and, and be better witnesses of Christ and to be better equipped for that work. Within our text, within this passage that we're going to be reading over the next two weeks, we're going to be reading um, 2 Timothy 2, and we'll look at it all the way through verse 13. This morning, we're just going to cover uh, the first four verses of this passage. But what we're going to be looking at is really um, a reminder, three analogies, and then another reminder. And then Paul just pours on encouragement. You know, he does that a lot. He'll be like, you need to be doing this. Don't forget this. Here's some pictures of what you can follow. Don't forget this. And then here's a ton of encouragement. You know, like, remember who you serve. Remember who Jesus is. Remember who called you. And so we need all of these things. And obviously, um, as we look at, um, you know, the, the, the letter of 2 Timothy, and as we look at what we would call the pastoral epistles, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, yes, these are letters that are addressed to young men who are in pastoral roles. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But we need to remember something as we look at this letter, just for context's sake, because it helps us greatly to remember where Paul is and what he's doing when he's writing this letter. You know, a lot of us think about like, oh, I hate writing letters. I don't know about you guys, but my mom would always make me write letters. This is before email. And so my mom would be like, you have to write thank you notes to people and you need to do all this. She, would, she was a good mom. She made me do the right kind of things like that. Kids are like, oh, my mom always makes me write thank you notes. Do it. It's good. It's good for you. Um, but what's, and they're like, what is this pen thing? It doesn't, I can't poke it. It doesn't work with QWERTY and all that. Um, here, here's the thing. Um, a lot of times we think about writing a letter and, and you're sitting in a very comfortable position. You're sitting in a place that's easy for you to write. It's probably optimal temperature. You're most likely in your favorite jammies or something. You know, you're wearing something that, that's comfortable. Think about Paul's situation as he writes this letter. We know that Paul was in prison in Rome. Paul was in prison in Rome. And if you read, especially 2 Timothy, we find out that winter is coming and Paul's very concerned about the cold 
Paul's very concerned about the actual things that are going to be affecting me. He even says to Timothy at one point in this letter, bring my cloak, and, and especially these, these parchments, the things that I need. But he goes, but could you bring my jacket? Winter's coming. You know, you're like, you're not really thinking about that when you're writing a letter. You're not chained to a Roman guard, you know, and, and, and most, most likely that's where he was at. But we know this from this letter as well. Paul, most likely, um, this is the last thing that he wrote. We don't know if he wrote any other letters, but this is the last letter that we have that he wrote before his execution. And so Paul's about to be executed for his faith in Christ. And he's nearing the end of his race. And so we have this emphasis in his, his urge to Timothy. This is my final instruction. This is the final push that he's going to give Timothy that we know of. And he says, practical and relational things to Timothy. You'll notice this throughout the letter. There's, there's practical things. Bring the cloak. Bring the parchments. There's relational like, my son Timothy. Don't forget how much I care about you. Don't forget that these things matter. He's going to encourage him in, in many different ways. And so Timothy at this time is a pastor. And, and just like Titus, who would be a pastor as well at this time, when we read the pastoral epistles, these letters are addressed to pastors. But um, what we need to understand is that he is dealing with church structure and, and in issues that were addressed to men serving in pastoral roles. But we have to recognize that the, these are separate letters with their own distinctives. They have their own distinct message, and while they're congruent with each other, they're also written to very specific things. They're not written just to describe church structure or pastoral ministry. Many people look at these and say, like, well, those are just pastoral letters. They're for pastors and not for everyone. That's not true. Um, what we see in these letters is the teaching of how a Christian can live in response to the gospel. This is how Christians live in response to the gospel. So in response to what Jesus has done in us, this is right Christian living for that situation. And so here in 2 Timothy 2, he's going to give Timothy some examples in chapter 1, prior to this chapter, of people who have done really well and people who have not done well. People who have fallen away from the faith. People who have abandoned him. But he says, but then there's this other guy. Anesiphorus, if you want to practice saying that. He says, this guy, he actually has sought me out when I was in Rome. He wasn't ashamed of my bonds. He wasn't ashamed of my chains. And so Paul's going to say, here's some examples of people who have done this poorly, who have followed the Lord poorly. When times got tough, they bailed. And here's an example of someone who stood strong. And so in light of that, and prior to that, even at the beginning of, of 2 Timothy, he's like, you need to be strong, Timothy. You need to stand firm. Don't bend. Don't bend to what's going on in the world around you. And I can't think of any better way to talk about church mission than to encourage you guys not to bend to what's going around you. What's going on around you in the world today, don't bend to it. We follow the word of God. We follow the everlasting word of God. Amen? Amen. Because if we are not standing on the word of God, then we are going to be thrown to and fro with every new doctrine, every new teaching, every new social change, every new Hollywood trend. And here's the thing. God has called us to walk in truth, and his word is truth. So let's begin in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, we're going to read all the way down through verse 13 together, and then we'll, again, we'll just focus on the first four verses this morning, but for context's sake, I really want to read all this in one shot. So 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will also reign. We will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father, we ask for clarity. We ask for your spirit to be present here this morning, to fill us up, Lord, with your understanding. And God, I pray that as he said to Timothy, as Paul spoke to him, Lord, as your Holy Spirit led him, God, would you give us understanding? Would you be the one who teaches us? Would it be your words that we hear this morning from your word? God, that we would be encouraged and built up by you for your glory. God, if we build ourselves up for our own purposes, Lord, that's just gratifying flesh. We don't want to gratify flesh. We want to honor you. And so, Lord, would you use this time to instruct us, to encourage us. Lord, what is our goal? What is our calling as a church? God, I pray over this group this morning, Lord, that we would know in better detail not only what you've called your church to do across the world, but Lord, what you've called this church to do. You've put us together for a special purpose, for a meaning, for a reason. And so God, I pray that we would know what that purpose is. Give us clarity, give us understanding, give us wisdom. We want to be led by you. Teach us from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first two verses here. This passage is so much fun. I, I absolutely love it. And fun in the way that it's going to work us all over and we should be really encouraged after it, it picks us apart and puts us back together again. He says this, You therefore, my son, speaking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, Paul really is just continuing his urge uh, to Timothy that he gave him in the first chapter in verses six through seven. It's probably right there, a page over for you. And he said this in chapter one, verse six. He said, therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. God has not given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and sound judgment. This is what we have in Christ. But notice that Timothy's strength here in chapter two is he really just reiterating that charge. His strength is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He said, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. Something that's important for us. A lot of times we focus on what God is doing on us in the moment. We'll be focused on what God's doing on us in the moment. That's not a bad thing to be like, okay, God, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to work on me. But you realize that it's never intended to stay there. It's never intended to stay within us. You know, if you fill yourself up with good things all the time and you never put anything out, what happens? You're really bloated. 
right? Bad things happen. We just say bad things happen. I'm not going to flesh out that analogy at all. But like, you, you just get really filled up, right? So think about this. We are to be putting out. We are to fill ourselves up so that we can impact those around us. Because notice what he says to him next. He says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's not only for his benefit that he's strong in the grace of Christ, that Jesus is strengthening him in his grace. It's so that he can teach others what he has already been taught. It's to put it into action. It's to put it into motion. And so Paul calls Timothy to pass on what he's been taught by the apostle himself. Timothy is to make disciples of Jesus. Church mission, this is our first point, be disciple makers. Church mission is to be disciple makers. This is huge because in many church models, and I'm not going to call out or say God is working in so many ways through so many different means right now. God is working through so many ways, but for us to be effective, we need to know how he is calling us to minister. And I tell you this, so many church models are struggling right now, not because they don't have a lot of people, because they don't have any disciple makers. They're not training people to be followers of Jesus. Unfortunately, if you look at the largest churches in our country, many of them are training people to be followers of men. And here's the thing. I want to pull those people in and help them. We need to pull those types of believers in and go, listen, this is not what it's about, and encourage them to follow after Christ and to have others do the same thing. You realize that Paul, when he said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that the imitate Christ is the operative part. The only reason that the church in Corinth should be imitating Paul is because he is imitating Christ. If he was not imitating Christ, they should not be imitating Paul. And so if people are following us or looking to us or looking to our example, if we're not doing things the way Jesus does them, we are leading them astray. We are giving them idols in their lives. And so Timothy is called to be a disciple maker. What he has been taught to do he needs to teach others. Paul says, commit to faithful men or people. You can look at the Greek. That means people. That means humanity in general. Commit to faithful people, faithful human beings who will be able to teach others also. So this isn't just for the guys. It's for all of us. We need to be teaching others to teach others to teach others and on and on it goes. Discipleship. Um, begins with us being in the program already. That's just a free one. That's just, you should be, if you're going to disciple somebody, if you're like, I want to disciple you, you have to already be in that program. You have to already be someone who has been and is being discipled. The, the reason why I believe God has allowed me to be uh, effective in ministry, and, and I know that I want to be more effective every day that I'm in ministry, but I think that one of the primary reasons that I have been effective in, effective in ministry to some extent is because I have had somebody discipling me. I have had someone who is discipling me. This goes for pastors across the board. Just because you're a senior pastor of a church for 35, 40 years doesn't mean that you shouldn't be discipled. You need someone who's encouraging you, who's walking with you, who's teaching you the things that they're learning. Because here's the thing, nobody knows everything. You can write that down. Mike said it. Nobody knows everything, right? There's not one person on this earth that knows everything. And yet, what is our society? What do people always want to present themselves as? Having all the answers. Just look at Facebook comment sections. I mean, they have all the answers, don't they? We all chuckle because it's ridiculous, 
You read some, you're like, oh, I got to comment to this. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Go have coffee with them and talk to them about it. Because odds are they won't say half the things they're saying on social media that they'll say to your face. Go have real conversations with people. Teens, write that down. Okay, so, and here's the thing. We have to recognize those weaknesses. You realize that discipleship is not going to happen through a keyboard in most instances. You know, I've been discipled by people that I've been far away from, but I need people in my life. I need people in my home. I need to be in their homes. We need to be relational. You look at the way the Church of Acts functioned when it was healthy. It wasn't in isolation. It was in community. They were together. We have to experience the goodness of God firsthand, become obedient to him, and then begin walking with faithful people and entrust them with what we've learned so that they can teach others. You realize that there's two levels there, right? If we're going to be disciple makers, there's two levels. Not only do I have to teach other people and share with other people, I have to show them how to teach other people. Those are two distinct steps. Teaching somebody something is one thing. Teaching them to teach another is another thing. But do you realize how effective ministry is when we do that? Do you realize how effective I can be if I teach four of my youth leaders to teach others rather than me trying to teach all the other people that they're going to teach? I'm talking like Paul in like Romans 5 right now. But, but does that make sense? How effective am I going to be if I teach BJ to mentor three people? And then he teaches those three people to mentor three people. Do you see how that strand spreads like wildfire? It looks just like the early church. It looks just like the early church. I've seen graphics, and I, and I should look these up and put them on a screen for you guys sometime because it's so cool to see. Graphics of how the gospel spread over time periods right after Christ ascended. Amount of eyewitnesses, the work of the apostles. It spreads. It looks like one of those charts, you know, where like, you see in like apocalyptic type stuff, like the, the disease is spreading. Well, in a really good way, like it's like the gospel is spreading through this area so rapidly because they were discipling people and teaching them to teach others. You realize how effective a small church, by the way, this church is um, based on how many people are in our church. We're like, uh, I believe it's in the 20 to 30 percentile of, of sizes of churches in our country, meaning that we're very much like in, there's, there's more churches our size. There's only one other size of church that has more people in it than ours does, meaning that, that we constitute the second largest percentage of church size in the country. You just don't hear about us very often. Does that make sense? Did I just totally run around in a circle? Like we, small churches are actually all over the place. It means that mega churches only constitute four to six percent of church people in the country. We look at them and we look at megachurch, we're like, oh, they're so effective. They're getting so much done. Actually, hometown church, small community church is extremely effective. Extremely effective. Gospel-centered people who are making disciples of their neighbors, revival. That's where revival starts. It starts right here. It starts in a group like this. We have to become disciple makers. And again, in order for us to begin that, we have to be part of the program. We have to be growing in our walk. And then we have to teach others to teach others. Effective discipleship, as a side note, can never be done in isolation. It can never be done in isolation, meaning you can't hide while you disciple people. It doesn't work. Okay? I think that's, that should go without saying. But often... 
my tendency when I get worn out, when I get tired, is to isolate away from people. There's nothing wrong with taking a break and spending time with the Lord. But when I reach the end of my rope, do I let him fill me up so I can re-engage or fill me up so I can hide? We cannot be people who hide. We have to engage. We can never forget what has been given to us. A lot of people look at their personality type. They're like, that's not my personality type. Can we just forget about personality types for a second? I'm not saying they don't matter. I, I see them as a gifting. But if we just set that aside for a second, do you realize that every single one of us was undeserving of the gift of salvation? And every single one of us should be compelled by that. That is our motivation. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by what? Give that to others. Give that to others. That immediately should motivate us. It's not about your personality type. It's about what Jesus did for you. It's about how he showed his love to you, how he demonstrated his goodness to you, how rich his mercy was to us. We misrepresent God when we isolate and hide the light. We misrepresent him when we isolate away from people or shove that candle under a basket. What did Jesus say? He said, put it on a stand so they can give light to all in the house. It's ridiculous to take something so precious as the gift of salvation for this world and to hide it. We are not called to hide it. If we want to see that light go forward, we have to begin discipling each other. We need to start pouring into each other here. And healthy church growth comes from discipleship. It's not based on numbers. Size is not the primary measurement the Bible uses to help us measure faithfulness of our churches. If you want to know how faithful a church is, you should not be looking at the number metric. It's not based on that. Obedience is. That's what defines the health of a church. That's what defines the faithfulness of a church. Are these people obedient to Christ? We're going to talk about that next week when we look at the athlete. The athlete competes according to what? The rules. What does that involve? Oh, we're just a bunch of rule keepers. No, 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 no. We are those who are motivated by love and obey Christ because we love him. We are motivated by love. We are motivated, motivated by his grace. Beneath an obedient church, you will find a powerful focus on discipleship because they're being taught, they're being trained according to the word, according to what God has said. As a church, we can never become about feeding the machine rather than feeding the flock. Our focus needs to be on people. I'm so excited that we have a leadership team in this church that looked at the changing situation at the school that was going to be a huge financial burden and said, you know what? We'll make this work so that that funding can go to ministry. Praise God for a leadership team that sees that. That's where it needs to be. Our focus needs to be on people. And you know what? If this is our church, you know, first and second service in the McCartney building for 30 years, we will be effective so long as Christ is honored and discipleship is happening. We will be effective here. Guys, I'm so excited. Like, I, I, I'm stepping out of my notes here. I'm so excited to do ministry with you guys here for the season he has us here to do. And you know what? I think he's going to do more. I think he's going to do more. I think he's going to start calling people to do more ministry in more areas. And you know what? All of that is multiplication for the kingdom and for God's glory. Our focus and effort needs to be utilizing what we have been given 
to feed the sheep. Feed the sheep, send them out. Equip the people, engage them in the culture. That's our calling. That's what good stewardship is. And, and the reason I use that word is very intentional. We have to steward what we have been given. We have been given everything that we have. We are not owners. We are stewards. We must never forget that. You know, I know this as a dad. Like, the first thing that I think of when something in my house gets broken, I paid for that. <laughs> that's mine. You know, and we, and we teach that mentality to our kids. You know, like, hey, that's, don't, don't break my stuff. You know, stop, stop abusing my furniture. And, and I really, <laughs> but think about this for a second. We are stewards. We are stewards. Now, we need to be good stewards. That doesn't mean the kids get to break the stuff. But, but here's the point behind all of that. We are to be good stewards of everything God has given to us. That is our families. That is our, 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 our possessions. It's the people at work. We are to be good stewards. We don't own anything. We've been given so much so that we can use it to reap a harvest for the Savior. That's how we employ. Everything that we have is to, to further the kingdom of God. And are we being effective in that mission? So the question is, who are you discipling? Do you need to be discipled? If you're like, I need someone to walk with me. This is not an age-based thing. What season are you in where do you need to be discipled? And we should always have that, but what should your focus be? Getting poured into so that you can pour out? Or are you filled up and ready to pour out? Ready to go? My heart is that each one of us would examine our lives and our priorities right now and begin teaching others to teach others. Start sacrificing time. You know, it's interesting, like, when kids start coming in and they come through the youth ministry, and, and you see this happen more often, they stick around longer when they come through the youth ministry and become youth leaders than if they come from the outside and come in. And, and I don't think that there's anything malicious behind that. I think that this is the reasoning behind it. They see the value because they were poured into. They see the value of pouring into kids because they were once a kid who got poured into in the same room. And so they want to keep giving back because they want to reciprocate the grace and the mercy that God showed them. If you don't feel equipped to do what you desire to do, ask someone to walk with you. And recognize this. A lot of times we talk about, I'm not qualified for this. I'm not qualified for that. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. That's exactly how this works. Now, that's no excuse to run into something and not be prepared for it. So don't take that too far. But, but the point is this. If God is calling you to do something and you need to give yourself to him and entrust yourself to him and he will equip you for that calling, he absolutely will. And never forget this, church. One more note on being disciple makers. Never forget this. We are not making disciples for ourselves. And I've said it a couple times, but I have to reiterate, we are not making disciples for ourselves. We are making disciples of Jesus. All of us. I'm not trying to get a group of people to follow after me when I work in the Spirit. Now in the flesh, be aware. Because that's what we desire in the flesh. And we need to crucify that flesh and walk in the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 5. Amen? Okay, next one. Verse 3. Now you see why I'm only getting through two this morning. Verse three, he says this to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. 
I like Paul's terminology here. I like the way he says this because I think a lot of times we think about Jesus in very different terms than our commanding officer. And Paul puts this this emphasis on the authority of God, on who God is and what our right place in his ranks is. You are serving him. Now we, I think we know this, and this goes for not just vocational ministry, this goes for all of us who are who are a part of the church. Uh, authentic ministry is hard. It's hard work. It's difficult. It's painful. It's costly. Ministry is difficult. Being Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ by faith and not works, that's a hard thing to live out in our culture, in any culture really, but just making it real with where we're at today. Um, it's going to involve suffering if we're doing it right. Not because we're looking for it, it just has a natural reaction. When we are being those who are walking in the goodness of God, who are walking in the truth that is in Christ Jesus, and we are submitted to him fully, there will be suffering. There will be struggle. And so Paul gives Timothy his first analogy. He, the first one was a reminder. Being disciple makers is a reminder. This is an analogy looking at the picture of the soldier. And he says this, be a good soldier. Don't be a bad one. Be a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Church, our mission is to be good soldiers, to be good followers. No good soldier gives up when there's hardship. No good soldier gives up when there's hardship. We've never been motivated or inspired by a story of a heroic quitter. You ever think about that? Man, I love chariots of fire. I love the way Eric Lydell just quit. That's not, we never like, no one ever like, that's not how the movie, kids are like, that's what that movie's about? I mean, I've heard the song, but I've never, they probably haven't even heard the song. But here's, here's the thing. We've never been inspired by heroic quitting. I've never been inspired somebody who wimped his way through life, Right? We're inspired by those who stand tall against adversity. A lot of times we're inspired by things where people give their lives for something. And so perseverance and endurance, where's our greatest example of perseverance, endurance in the midst of extreme hardship and in the face of certain death? Just look to Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate example. Jesus is the one who should motivate us. He's the one that inspires us. We look at Jesus and go, what did, you know, how did he motivate us? Oh, no big deal. He just obeyed to death, as Paul said in Philippians 2, even death on a cross. He counted equality with God, not as something to be grasped after. In other words, he had an equal grounds with God the Father, and he submitted himself and humbled himself to a lowly position, even to die on the cross for us. That is our example. And Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Be an attitude adopter of Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's what being a good soldier is. Going all the way in your life in obedience to God, even if it's to the death. We're told to put our eyes on Christ. 
Hebrews 12 came to mind as I was reading this text. The, the second half of verse 1 through verse 2, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The operational part of that, part, part of that, that I want you to notice, he endured the cross. He endured it. He continued through it. He powered through that. Paul explains further in verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Don't get entangled in the things of civilian life. Paul's example of this analogy is most likely chained to him while he's writing it. You realize he's there chained with a Roman guard, right? The legionary soldiers among the Romans, they weren't permitted to engage in husbandry, merchandise, mechanical employments, or anything that might be inconsistent with their calling. They weren't allowed to engage in any of these other things. They were singularly focused on honoring, well, their emperor, right? On doing their duty for Caesar. But Paul's chained to this guy, and you imagine he's like, you know, this, this is it. Like, this is the idea. This is, what we, this is what we need to be like. We need to be like this kind of a soldier. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't just for those who are in leadership in a church. It counts for them. I'm not saying like, we don't have to worry about it, but you guys do. No, not that, not that at all. But, but he's saying this. He says, it's not, I don't think this is just for us. I think this is church mission focused, that we need to be good soldiers. We need to be those who are not getting entangled in distractions. Don't get tangled up in distractions. We are such distracted people. We are a generation, the first of its kind, to have constant distraction in our pockets. To have a Bible app on a screen that's surrounded by distractions. Isn't it funny? I'm going to go read my Bible. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You know, like it's, it's how many things distract you before you can even get there? I recommend to kids that have come through the youth group, our young adults that are in our, our, our college-age uh, Bible study, like, don't use your phone unless you have to to read your Bible. There are too many options. There are too many distractions. There's too many things in the way. It's not that you can't conquer them and overcome it. It's that you need to have as little distraction in your life as possible. And here's the thing. I'm not just talking about your Bible reading. I'm not just talking about your quiet time. Is Christ the focus of your life? Is Jesus the reason that you're alive? Is he the motivation for getting out of bed in the morning? You know, we have our to-do list. Is Jesus the first thing on that list? I'm going to honor Christ through every interaction today. Take that attitude to Walmart. That's not easy. You're like, oh, no, anything but that. Think about this, you guys. We need to go into the mark. We have to drive on the roads honoring Christ. Ooh, I mean, I'm just going to pick at every little thing and go, ow, ow, ah. You know, all the teens are already like, you know, splitting their souls in half thinking about getting rid of their smartphones right now. But, but here's the thing. Don't worry. The kids are going to camp. They don't get them. They are. Yeah, right? Amen. We take their phones away. You're welcome. They go through withdrawals for about a day and a half. And then by the end of camp, you know what? They don't want them. Most of the kids don't even want their phone back. Because it's so nice to not be distracted all the time. It's so relieving to not have to carry around a constant reminder of 
everything. You guys, we can't detach from the world. We're called to be in the world, but not of it, right? Don't forget the but not of it. Don't forget the second part. We are in the world, but you're not from here. Paul says it in Philippians 1, you are citizens of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's where we belong. We have tools in this life. Our devices, they're tools. They're not idols. And if it's disproportionate in your life, do something about it. Put the idol aside. Don't be distracted from doing what your commanding officer has called you to do. The commanding officer expects us to use things for his glory. And here's the thing. A lot of times, Jesus is all of these things. You realize he's both justice and grace. He's both righteousness and mercy. He's both love and holiness. And so when we think about God, I think a lot of times we we look at the two sides. He's all in one. He's, he's, He's all of these things. And so when we, when we focus on the Lord, when we're seeking to honor him, we can see him as our commanding officer and as our father. We can see God as all of these things. And so we need to understand that there are times when we need to step two. We need to straighten our backs, as the writer of Hebrews goes on to say in chapter 12, he says, strengthen your weak knees. That one really hurts for me because I have really bad knees. I'm like, Lord, I can't. But like, but I, that's not what he's getting at. He's saying, strengthen yourself. Stand upright. Get to, get to work. Get busy. Come on. It's like your dad motivating, you know. Come on, get, get up. Go do something. You know, like it's, let's go. Let's get about what we're here to do. Church mission is about being disciple makers. And church mission is also being good soldiers. Not being distracted, not getting entangled in the things of the world, but being focused on what God has us here to do. I see this not only individually, I see it collectively. Are we seeking continually as a body for clarity on what God has called us to do as a church? Because here's the thing, we have the things that are, that are locked in, that are set in stone. We are going to worship Jesus. We are going to study his word. We are going to pray. We are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are the things that are locked in. But God could, want, could be wanting to use us in our community in very special ways. Are we aware of them? Are we aware of what those things are? A final thought as we close. I was thinking about this as I was studying and, and you know, sometimes I'll, I'll just start looking for just kind of this, this uh, what was Jesus's attitude in regards to the text that I'm reading? You know, it, it's funny because Spurgeon said that he would take any text and make a beeline for the cross. You know, you take the text and just make a beeline for, for the cross, make a beeline for Jesus. And it's funny because a lot of times when I come to the end of a studying time, I'll just be looking for like, you know, what would Jesus say to this? How would Jesus speak to this? What's his mindset? What's, you know, about being a good soldier, about being a disciple maker? Obviously, we have examples of Jesus. I mean, if you want the, the close-up view of what good discipleship looks like, read the Gospels. You know, putting up with people who are punks for three and a half years. You know, like that's, that's just what Jesus did, you know, like in his public ministry. And so if you want to see what good discipleship looks like, we can look to Christ. But Hebrews chapter 10 was where I ended up. And what's interesting about Hebrews 10 is um, the author of Hebrews is talking about how it's impossible for the sacrifices of animals to cleanse people from sin. 
He says it's impossible. And so he's putting people's eyes on Jesus as our perfect sacrifice. And in doing so, he quotes from Psalm 40. And he says this in Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 7. Therefore, as he, speaking of Jesus, was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. That just broke me yesterday. When we recognize who God is, when we recognize what he's done for us, can we agree collectively, church, to come together in a time of worship and just say to God together, we have come to do your will, O God. That's why we're here. We're here to do your will, your way. We can't get caught up in anything else. We can't get caught up in other pursuits of the world. The church's mission is not to become mega nor mini. The church's mission as attitude adopters of Jesus is to echo the battle cry as disciple makers and as good soldiers. We have come to do your will, O God. And may that be the statement that we're remembered for. May Calvary Rathdrum mark this area forever as being those who cried out collectively, we have come to do your will, O God. That's why we're here for as long as you have us here. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, as we um, worship you for a time, God, I just thank you for working in us Lord, the truth that, that has transcended time. God, that you are looking for a people who will give themselves wholeheartedly to you so that you can use them. And God, sometimes that looks very different than what we expect. Sometimes that looks very different um, than, than what we would want. And so God, I just pray that... Um, that even now as we go to a time of worship, that we would be humbling ourselves. That we would be taking a knee, and I have that picture of the soldier in my mind, Lord, just of taking a knee before you, saying, your orders, sir. I'm here to do your bidding. Whatever it is that you want. And not because you're a harsh master, you're a good father. You're a loving savior. And so we aren't motivated by any negative things. Lord, we are motivated by love. We are motivated by grace. We're motivated by mercy. So Lord, as we just take a minute and sit before you, God, I pray individually that we would cry out to you, Lord, in our hearts to make us effective, to use us, to inspire us. Even as we worship, Lord, whether we should sit or stand, whether whatever we should do, that we would just respond to you, Lord, not for the eyes of men. We are not men pleasers. For your good pleasure. For what honors you.
God, motivate us and move us. As we think of you, as we focus our thoughts on you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for making us your own.